Good morning and welcome to AC23. I'm your host, Pam Bordelon, and joining me this morning is Peter Harris. He is a bass player, plays jazz, and he's from New Orleans, and he is going to be closing out our jazz listening room series here at the Arts Council uh, tomorrow night. Welcome, Peter. Thanks for having me. So what... um, you are from New Orleans, so how did how did growing up in that that city with its rich musical heritage uh, impact your and your decision to pursue music as a career? Well, if I had not grown up in New Orleans, uh, there's a fairly good chance I would not be a musician. Um, and one of the reasons is that New Orleans is one of the only cities in the world where musicians can actually make a decent living playing live music. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's also the, you know, just the rich uh, cultural and musical heritage that's in the city and, and um, just the sheer amount of music and quality music that's, that's around. Um, so that also inspired me to be a musician and continues to inspire me to play music. Okay. So how did you stumble upon playing a bass? That's not like that. Those are just lying around the house and you pick it up. So how did that, how did that come about? Uh, I ended up playing the bass cause I, I have, um, siblings who already played other instruments. Mm-hmm. Um, so we had in our house, we had, my mother used to like to, uh, uh, kind of collect pianos that were, you know, free. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we had a few pianos around the house. So we, my oldest brother played piano in the house a lot. And then my older brother played drums. And I have a younger brother that started playing guitar before I started playing bass. So those instruments were taken up. Okay. Um, it, but I did take piano lessons when I was younger, you know, like nine or 10 mm-hmm. and, I didn't start playing electric bass till I was 16. Okay. Okay. So how, how did playing the piano, did that give you a good foundation to, to do other things? Oh, absolutely. Um, I mean, the, I specifically remember using the keyboard to teach myself the notes on the bass. Mm-hmm. Cause I knew the keyboard and I, you know, I could play a couple of little things, but, um, I specifically remember that, and um, I don't consider myself a piano player, but um, I definitely use, I know enough about the keyboard to to use it for composing um, my own music, uh, for learning, you know, if somebody sends me some sheet music, I know enough mm-hmm. about the piano to sit down at the piano and get a good idea of what it sounds like, or transcribing music, you know, if I need to learn say I want to learn something from my band and I need to write it out while I sit down at the key, the piano and so I can help know the qualities of the chords, the melody, all that kind of stuff. So it's okay. it's a very useful tool. Okay. All right. So what is it? Um, so did you, you mentioned you and your brother. So did y'all have a, a family band or did you play in a band growing up? Um, we did not have a family band. (laughs) Um, I don't know if we could have gotten along for that long. (laughs) 
But um, my brother that played drums used to have his friends come over and play. So that was uh, a good taste for me of, you know, just being around music that was being played uh, by other people together was uh, that kind of whet my appetite for for wanting to play music. Um, and then um, I ended up being in a band in high school. It was a cover band and um, we, you know, learned a huge repertoire of music. Uh, it was actually a great way to to uh, develop musicianship, just learning stuff on your own, not having somebody else teach it to you, just learning it all, memorizing it. Um, and we actually ended up playing gigs like almost every weekend. Okay. Yep. Okay. All right. So um, how did you switch from cover band type music to jazz? How did that, how did you get into that jazz genre? Um, well, it was, it was kind of a progression. Um, you know, the cover band I was in, it was like a rock band. And then I would say the next step of the progression was um, when I was, 19 me and the drummer from that band formed uh an original band uh it, which was more like a funk band and okay. um so that was kind of my first foray into you know developing my own music that band we used to rehearse every weekend um i mean we'd have these marathon rehearsals like five six hours uh, you know just all developing our own songs mm -hmm. um and um and then i had a friend who was not in that band that played guitar um that he actually went to to noca new orleans center for creative arts and he was in the jazz department so he was kind of um i kind of knew through him what that whole thing was all about um mm -hmm. i have one of my older brothers was uh made me some cassette tapes. I remember the first one was the Miles Davis album called Workin'. And I had a bass teacher who um, I just kind of let him point me in a direction. And uh, what he was doing was teaching me how to, he was also giving me recordings um, of people like uh, Charles Mingus, Paul Chambers. These are all jazz bass players. Jocko okay. Pastorius. And he was teaching me how to read chord charts. So in jazz, we have what you call lead sheets, which just has a melody and chord changes. And as a jazz musician, you have to know how to interpret that and be able to know what to do with those chord symbols, specifically with bass playing. Like you see a chord symbol and you have to be able to walk bass lines over those chord symbols. So my teacher was uh, showing me how to do those things. So a combination of all those things that I just described mm -hmm. put me in a place where when I was as a freshman and sophomore at the University of New Orleans floundering, <laughs> not knowing what to major in, but I was, but I was definitely knew I was interested in music and I had no idea I was on the same campus as a, as a guy named Ellis Marcellus who was leading oh, wow. the, the jazz department over there and at the time i mean i my friend had given me um 
a copy of uh, Wynton Marsalis's Standard. I think it's called Standard Time, Volume One. So I knew who Wynton Marsalis was. Yeah. But I didn't know, you know, that Ellis Marsalis was his dad. I didn't know he had a jazz department on campus. And long story short, I ended up um, switching my major to music and um, uh, started participating in the jazz department at UNO and a couple years in, I was uh, subbing gigs with Ellis Marcells because his bass player was my teacher. Oh, wow. So, and that's that's the same time that I started playing upright bass. So I didn't start playing upright bass till I was 20. Okay. So do you have to pinch yourself sometimes that, that you've been able to rub shoulders with the likes of Ellis Marcells? Uh, it's definitely surreal, you know, it's, uh, <laughs> you know, it, you know, it's, uh, definitely humbling, you know, the times that I got to play with him or play with, you know, like his son, Jason, I played with, I've played with him a bunch, um, or people like Nicholas Payton or Herlin Riley, um, it's always a learning experience. It's always a combination of super inspiring and yeah. super humbling, you know, cause they're always, um, the music itself is so inspiring, but it's also, they're also playing in a way that is, lets you know the things that you need to work on, the things mm -hmm. that you have together yet, or you want, you know, so, um, you know, and I'm kind of the, I what I love about playing this music is that process. I almost love the process as much as I love like playing the music. Yeah. You know. So are any two to me jazz is almost like comedy improv. No two no two nice are exactly the same. Exactly. That is exactly correct. So do you have to be be able to think fast on your feet to to play jazz? Absolutely. Um, I'm and you know, I will say, if I if I'm playing the kind with the music kind of musicians that I aspire to be, then yes, they are keeping me on my toes at all times, and I have to be ready for anything. Uh, like somebody could throw some metric modulations in that so that means like shift in time or meter or mm -hmm. somebody might throw in some chord substitutions or somebody might you know there's all kinds of things that that can happen and uh as you said you don't you never know exactly how things are going to unfold on a given night yeah you know it could even be something with dynamics like oh we don't you know somebody might play decide to play a melody super quiet and if everybody's mm -hmm. listening and we all do that together then it can be really cool you know especially if it's in the context of like oh wow we don't usually do it like that mm -hmm. and that was really great does that keep it fresh for you as a performer for from your perspective as a performer that you yes. get changes like that absolutely yeah i mean it it's you know i mean the, uh, um the most obvious obvious thing to compare it to is 
you know, I was describing the first band that I was in in high school and we're a cover band. And in that context, that's gr- I think that's that was great for me at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but it can also be like what you, you learn your part and that's it. Once you've learned your part, the challenge is over. Yeah. Um, and, it, and, you know, it can still be fun to play those songs. Um, but the, you know, to me, I, I just love the feeling of, of like, you know, when things happen, we didn't plan this and this is what happened in this moment. And we don't know what's going to happen in the next moment. We don't know what's going to happen on the next song, mm-hmm. you know? So I really love that feeling and, and to be able to, to strive to do that in a way that um, doesn't alienate the listener. Yeah. Um, you know, and I, I do believe that there, there are ways to do that. I, I think if, if musicians are being honest and they're having an honest communication with each other, then I feel like the listener, even if it's a listener that doesn't know anything about jazz or maybe has never had that listening experience. Mm-hmm. I think if honest communication going on between the musicians, I feel like that translates to the listener. Yeah. Cause just as, as a concert goer, sometimes, you know, they're good, but then there's, then there are those nights that it's magical that it all yeah. is just like all the pieces of the puzzle come together. Really Absolutely. Good. Yeah. yeah. So um, you had a, your first CD came out in 2013 and it's called the Jackal. Yes. And you have some pretty impressive people that are on there, including Jason Marsalis. So um, tell me a little bit about that CD. Uh, well, it was a long time ago. <laughs> Um, I need to do another one soon. Okay. Uh, um, you know, there's, so on that CD there, I, I forget how many original compositions I have on there. I think it's five or six. Okay. Um, and the rest are, are jazz standards or, uh, which is usually, um, it's usually if I choose to do jazz standards, I'm trying to do an arrangement of a jazz standard. Okay. Trying to make it mine a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, so that kind of goes back to you were asking about the piano. That's another thing that having p- some skills on piano comes in very handy. Okay. Uh, one of the names that I see on your list of people you have performed with is Jermaine Basil. And she was uh, one of our jazz listening room artists back in November. And she is, 90 plus years old and she is a spitfire so Mm -hmm. how 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 was it to perform with her oh it's amazing i still uh perform what she's not performing as much since uh the pandemic uh but i'm still doing gigs with her uh Mm -hmm. i had one last i played at the jazz fest with her last friday i'm playing with her this sunday at snug harbor um but before the pandemic, um, she had a regular Sunday engagement at the Royal Sinesta Hotel in a place called the Jazz Playhouse. And I was actually the leader of that band. Okay. Um, so, and that, that we, that went on for about 10 years. Wow. So, um, she's just always amazing. She never brings less than 
100 percent yeah to the and you know even at this age yeah you know uh so she's just amazing um, she's an amazing musician i always like to say she's like a, a she's a, a musician who her instrument is her voice yeah. you know she just happens to be use her voice as an instrument but she is like she is one for lack of a better term one of the guys yeah you know? <laughs> um, she she did a uh a, a um, teaching artist session at, at Southern University and watching her interact with the students was is one of will be one of my favorite memories for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. And and you you also teach. So how how where tell us a little bit about teaching and and why why you do that. Um well teaching especially in this style of music uh teaching is is an extremely important part of it that all the musicians that I play with um, and that I love uh, education is, is an important uh, component of what they do, wh whether it's in an academic setting or not. Okay. Um, but uh, I've been uh, adjunct uh, at university of New Orleans for about 15 years and I've been teaching at the Heritage School of Music which is funded by the Jazz and Heritage Foundation since um, about 2007 okay. um, and I've actually since 2020 I've been the administrator of that school uh, which I'm actually about to step out of that role um, because I have too much on my plate because I also have <laughs> currently have a, a regular engagement at the Pontchartrain Hotel, which is Tuesday through Friday. Okay. Um, so I book all the bands there and I play in all the bands. And um, um, so I prefer to have a different band every night so that if you were to go there every, you know, four nights in a row, you'd have a different experience every time. Mm -hmm. Okay. And I know I'm getting away from your question about education. No, you're good. You're good. You're good. So tomorrow night, you're going to be here at the Cary Sarage Community Arts Center. Performance is at 7.30. Tickets are $20, and you can get them on Bonton Tickets or you through our website, which is arts, A-R-T-S-B-R.com. So um, what's, what's going to happen tomorrow night? Going to be fun? Oh, it's going to be a lot of fun. <laughs> got a great band uh coming in um got a wonderful drummer uh from portugal his name is pedro segundo and um he is actually um he's an amazing amazingly versatile musician you know okay. he'll get he uh before he was in new orleans he was in London, and he spent a good amount of time in New York. He's spent a good amount of time in in, in uh, L.A. And he uh, he kind of still bounces around from city to city, but he'll get gigs sometimes. You know, playing with the with the uh, London Philharmonic. You know, I mean, oh, wow. okay. semi regularly, and then he'll get gigs playing with John Cleary, and then he'll get gigs playing straight ahead. You, you know, and uh, but he's 
he's a lot of fun to play with and people have a good time watching him play also. Um, I have Ashlyn Parker coming on trumpet. Ashlyn leads a group uh, in New Orleans called the Trumpet Mafia, which is like, does these arrangements for like, I mean, they have, they must have like 15 trumpets in that band. (laughs) But they, they perform regularly in New Orleans uh, on tenor saxophone, uh, Ricardo Pascal. Okay. Great player, great improviser. Um, and then uh, on piano, I'm going to have Oscar Rosignoli, who may, y'all in, in Baton Rouge, some folks there may know him because I'm pretty sure he did his undergraduate or his graduate degree at LSU. Okay. So he has, he spent some time in Baton Rouge, okay. but he's an amazing pianist. All right. Well, Peter, thank you so much for joining us. And I can't wait for tomorrow night's concert. Again, that's Peter Harris. He's going to be playing a little jazz bass with us tomorrow night at 730 here at the Cary Siraj Community Arts Center. And we hope you will join us also on Thursday, May the 11th from 530 to 730 is a reception officially opening the Derek Gordon and Rodolfo Rodriguez retrospective exhibit here at the Shell Gallery. So thank you for joining us for AC23. We'll see you next week.